Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So stay with us as right now we present. It's the holiday season, and we'd like to believe that the holiday season is great for everybody, and we're all excited about having Thanksgiving and then having to prepare and then Black Friday and then get ready for Christmas. And it's just not always that way. And uh, uh, so we are here today. Uh, Michelle um, Hernandez and myself are here today. And we're going to talk about what the holidays can be like, especially Michelle has got a program called Soaring Spirits International. And bless her heart, she's an angel among us because she's working with people who've lost their significant other and are not doing necessarily as well. And they're giving them hope as to, as to continuing their life uh, on. She's, she's also a survivor of, of, of being a widow and, and uh, she's a wonderful, wonderful lady. Not the first time on the show. I am really hopeful. Not the last time on the show. (laughs) We'll have to see how you do today. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I can handle the pressure. (laughs) Well, it's always wonderful to be here, and I thank you for that warm introduction. We are, it's just an, a gift to be able to talk about some of the things that are a struggle for people who often don't have a space to talk about it. Grief is not one of those subjects that we like to talk about around the Thanksgiving table, typically, or any of the other holiday tables at which you might sit. And so um, it's great to have this time together to hopefully help some of the listeners have some practical tips and some ways to support them emotionally as they enter this holiday season. I think that is brilliant because when you lose somebody and especially a spouse and people are there for the first Thanksgiving or the first Christmas and they want to make sure you're okay. But it's oftentimes, correct me if I'm wrong, Michelle, but oftentimes it's the second Christmas or the second Thanksgiving or the third when everybody's gone about their lives and you're still grieving over the loss of your significant other. And that makes it really tough for for people to even sit down and have Thanksgiving. What the hell should I be thankful for? It's true. I think it's a combination of the challenge for, especially for the month of November, right? You'll hear a lot of people talk about gratitude and attitude of gratitude and, you know, the gratefulness idea of thinking of something you're grateful for every day, which I think is a really positive way of coping with lots of things. The trouble can be that sometimes when you're grieving, Uh, For us, as you said, we provide service for anybody who's experienced the death of the person they thought they were going to spend the rest of their life with. So spouses or partners. And for us in particular, trying to figure out how do we navigate the sense of wanting to be grateful for the things that we still have while acknowledging that there's a really big gap that just is never going to be filled by anyone else. And we have to get used to that space where our person used to sit physically Um, And, you know, you'll hear people say the empty seat at the table, oftentimes in military funerals or in um, other organizations where they represent a number of people, firefighters, 
police officers, you'll see that they physically represent the absence of people by having a number of helmets or a number of shoes or, you know, so they, they acknowledge that there is a missing space for this person, a physically missing space for this person. And I think sometimes for us as families and as supporters of people who grieve, that can be challenging during the holiday season because all we want for our person is for them to be happy and for them to feel loved and feel grateful. And yet for people who are grieving, that can sometimes take a while before you come to a place where you're able to feel that ongoing gratitude. I think it's also worthwhile mentioning that for some people, gratitude is the way they get through. Like they don't know what they would do if they couldn't find something to be grateful for every day. So I think knowing that we, lots of people have that for as many people as there are grieving, there are ways of managing your grief. And for some being grateful every day and, and listing those things is a powerful tool. And for others, it's actually something that can be hurtful because they struggle to find those grad that gratitude. And then they think that there's something wrong with them because they can't. I don't know how anyone can think there's something wrong with themselves when they mm -hmm. are grieving um, the loss of, I, I think back to, think back to people who I have loved in my life and if in the midst of that love they had suddenly departed it's not like a divorce it's not because they're gone and they're never coming back yeah. so it's, it's it's completely different and I you know and we need to give people space I think well yeah. and I I love to hear you say that because that's a unique sometimes that's a unique perspective because I think as people who are not grieving and we're supporting a griever, or let's say you have somebody who you know is actively grieving is coming to Thanksgiving. And that could be because they experienced the death of a spouse or partner. Maybe they've experienced the death of a child. Maybe they experienced the death of someone else in their life. That's a pivotal part of their life. And you think to yourself, okay, do I talk about it? Like maybe they just want to come to Thanksgiving and never hear their person's name. So I want to just disabuse you of that because the truth is that grieving people immediately after someone dies there becomes sort of a gap where people stop saying their name and so imagine it's as if one day your person is alive and people mention them in regular conversation and then the next day it's like they've been erased from the planet with an eraser because people are afraid to say the name of the person and so i encourage you if you have a grieving person coming to your thanksgiving holiday to mention that person's name. You don't have to have a long, uncomfortable conversation if you feel worried about that. Instead, you can just say, I bet you're missing, for me, Philip, I bet you're missing Philip today. Or if it's a person that you also loved and knew, I'm really missing Philip today. I can only imagine how much you must be missing them. Just to hear somebody say their name and acknowledge that they're not there and that you wish they were and you know that the person wishes they were, it's a really beautiful way to begin the day because suddenly there's a little bit of air back in the room. You're not all holding your breath to wait and see if anybody's going to say the name of the person who died. Isn't it true? I don't know if it's always true, but it has been in my family that the, when the the holiday came after somebody passed and uh, then inevitably we would mention that individual's name and then we'd start telling stories. It's, and it's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful part of remembering. You've, you've probably heard the phrase that, you know, people are never really dead until pe their names stop being said. 
And so, you know, you have a physical death, but you have this ongoing influence in the world for as long as you are remembered and for as not long as your name is on the lips of the people who knew and loved you. And so storytelling is just such a beautiful way to continue not only to acknowledge and honor the person who died, but also to give everyone around that person the opportunity to process by sharing stories and memories that probably some might bring a tear to your eye and others might make you belly laugh. And so to be able to have those and share them with other people who are know and love that person is a beautiful medicine. You know, I wanted to ask you about this because it just, it just came up in my own mind. And that, that is there are different um, different religious uh, thoughts, spiritual thoughts about what happens to somebody after they pass on. Um, does that play a great deal? Because I know you, you work with your organization, Soaring Spirits International, is becoming a huge deal, and thank you for that. But does... Does how you perceive that happen? What happens after we die? Does that impact the grief? Um, does that lessen it or make it worse? Or how do people how do people de- deal with that minefield? Well, and I think that it's an interesting question in part because there are as many grievers as there are there are answers. Um, for soaring spirits, we provide secular support. But we make space for all the ways that people support themselves and grow through grief. And for sure, some of that um, for individuals is their their faith. It could be a developing faith. It could be that they have a crisis of faith, meaning that they believed one thing. And then now suddenly the test of that belief, right, is when someone dies. That's the test of that belief. And so for some people, let's say they believe there's nothing. There's They're 100% atheist. They believe that there is nothing after death. Then their person dies. And suddenly they're like, but wait, how do I stay connected? How do I live in this space if my person's no longer there? So it could be a crisis in their mind of faith in that they believed one thing and now they're being challenged to think about whether that's still valid for them when their person dies. It also happens in the reverse of that, meaning that you have a really deep religious faith and then you struggle to understand why someone's death is a part of God's plan for you and for them, and then maybe struggle and wrestle with that. Another thing is that people who have a faith journey also can really deepen that as they can sometimes find great comfort in their beliefs and what they believe for their person. And so my only caveat and the thing to think about as a as a supporter of a grieving person is that no matter what someone believes about the afterlife um, and whatever they may have as a personal faith belief, um, it's rare that someone will find, you know, the phrase they're in a better place to be overly comforting. <laughs> because, because you know but it's often meant so genuinely like it, it is if you it's believe the, the in, exact wrong thing to say if you believe in another life after this then you often that that belief is always that it's better place it's a peaceful place it's a place where someone's not in pain and so literally speaking if that's your belief then your person is in a better place however having to get used to them not being physically present with you and And think about the holidays as one of those times when your loved one also is missing out, right? Maybe Thanksgiving was their favorite holiday and they loved pumpkin pie and they were the ones who would like hoard it, not let anybody else have any because they are going to eat the whole pie themselves. And then what happens when the pumpkin pie comes out this year? 
is that not only are you thinking to yourself, laughing about all the ways that that person used to hide the pie, but you're also realizing like they loved pie and they're not here to have the pie. And so while they may be in a peaceful, beautiful place, when people say to a grieving person, well, they're in a better place, it's as if to dismiss, it feels dismissive of the actual feelings you're having of missing your person. And so I ask people just to be careful about making assumptions about how people, what people's beliefs are and not, you know, not sort of um, imposing your own beliefs on people, but rather hold space for whatever they might share with you about what they think of the afterlife and what's happening with their person now. Um, because it's easy to assume that everyone thinks like we do, but I feel like, you know, the better we are able to keep our mind open and be curious about what people will respond to a question rather than making an assumptive answer for them, the more we learn about each other and the better we're able to support people in all kinds of difficult situations. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, is that we don't know where <laughs> they are or what the, what the place they are. We, we, we've, we've got ideas and we, you know, depending upon who you are and your upbringing and all that, you've got a kind of an idea, but Grieving really is for the living. It's for the folks that you are are that are going through that every day. Mm -hmm. And the and the the truth of it is that though we absolutely know that life is finite, you're not really tested on that until someone that you love and can't imagine your life without is no longer living. And now suddenly it's personal, and you understand in a completely different way that this life that we have is finite. And it makes, it, it changes the way you walk in the world. It changes the way you think about things that are both, you know, sort of ethereal, like whether what your faith experience is, and also the way that you interact with people in your daily lives. So knowing that that life experience of grieving someone pivotal in your life changes you is also something to be mindful of when we're interacting with people who are grieving because so often it's like wait but I don't recognize you you've never been this sad or you used to be such a cheerful person but it's a matter of getting used to like when we when we have this idea that we know that life is finite and yet we're not set up for impermanence so when you think you're looking at the door and you're thinking they're coming in any minute, even though you know they can't physically come in that door, they're dead. You still will have the sense our bodies, our minds, our whole spirit needs to adapt to the fact that the door isn't going to open and the person we expect to come through or the phone's not going to ring or when I have something exciting happen and I want to call that person, I can't anymore. Those are all things that we have to get used to as we deal with the impermanence of life and of the people who we expected to be part of our lives forever. Well, and, and I don't know about you, but um, I know intellectually that this body is going to die. Mm -hmm. Emotionally, I don't get it. Emotionally, I don't believe it. Uh, I believe that I'm going to live for as long as I want and forever. And that's how we treat our lovers and our friends and our, mm -hmm. our family that is with us. We think the same about all of that. And then when that doesn't happen, it can be a very shattering experience for yeah. a whole bunch of different levels. Well, and that's the funny thing, isn't it? That uh, on the one hand, like you said, intellectually, we know. <laughs> we know that we're not immortal. And yet when we're faced with mortality, it's often a shocking experience that 
that causes all kinds of shifts and requires a lot of grace and a lot of space for the grief, the feelings of grief, for the reality of the person not coming back and for us adapting to, for example, you're going to adapt to new holidays. You have to because the, there is a person who's not coming who you would expect to have been a part of it. And so that's not only going to influence the griever, the primary griever, let's say, but everyone around them as well. And we just, the more grace we can give each other around uh, making space for that reality, that new and painful reality, I think the better able we are to support people while they make that transition from, I'm waiting for that door to open to I'm understanding that it's not and that I have to start creating a new life for myself. Okay. So I, I got it now that we are not going to say, well, you know, he's in a better place or she's in a better place. We're not going to say that because we, number one, we have no proof of that. And uh, it also isn't their experience at that particular moment. So what, and when you, when you're sitting down at the table and it's the first time or maybe even the second or third time that you're having that Thanksgiving dinner and that individual is not there. And it's obvious that that person isn't there. Uh, what should you say? So I, I love to give this advice in two different formats. So, and we're going to, and remind me, cause I want to come back to the, what can we do about the empty seat? But the first thing is like for a person, let's say this is your first holiday since someone you love died and you're going to the holiday event. And now for some people that may feel like, oh, I don't want to go. Other people are like, I can't wait. And since we've had such a long gap with COVID, I think that that also influences how people might feel about this. But for grievers, I always tell them, find an escape route. So if you are in a room, you know, you're coming into the room, you walk in, this is where you're going to be having dinner. I want you to look around and decide if I feel overwhelmed with emotion and I just need a break, where am I going to go? Set your eyes on that door or that. And, and where will you go once you get out the door so that you can know that if you need five minutes to gather yourself, if suddenly you're overwhelmed by the fact that your person's not going to be there and you can't sit still for one more minute, you have already a pre-planned escape route. It makes all the difference. And sometimes it means you never have to use it because you know you can if you need to. But in those moments where you're like, okay, I can't stay here for one more second, I follow my escape route, I give myself the time I need, and then decide if I'm able to come back in and rejoin, or if it's time for me to take a break and go home. So I want to just, that's one of my favorite tips to give to people as they enter their first holiday season. That's brilliant, by the way. It makes so much a difference. And I, and, you know, just knowing that you're not stuck makes such a difference. It helps, I think, give you more stamina to do, you know, to spend as much time as you can. But there's a flip side to that. And that is the other people sitting around the table. So you watch me jump out of my seat and I run out the door. Um, be able to know that just one person can pop in and say, you're doing okay. Do you need any support? And if the person says, no, I just need a minute, give them a minute. And also it doesn't have to be a big deal that they left the table. They can just come back in when they're ready and everyone can continue on. Because I think a lot of times we feel responsible to fix someone and we can't. There's no fixing the fact that this person is dead. Grief cannot be fixed. No amount of, you know, providing distractions or, or trying to get people to be different than they are is going to change their experience. The big helpful thing you can do, though, is give them space if they need it. 
offer support quietly and then listen to what they say when they give you their when they give their answer it makes such a difference to just like sort of set that tone so then i know that i can come in i can stay for as long as i want and i'm not going to get many times people will say you know you should have just tried to stay or there's no reason why you can't sit down and eat pie Okay, well, let's go back to the pie. Let's say my panic attack is coming because the pie is coming out. I see the pie coming. And I'm like, I can't stand to look at that pie knowing he's not going to eat it, knowing no one's going to have any games around it. And all I want is to escape so I don't have to see the pie. And then what are people doing? Come have pie. You need pie. Come on now. You can have some pie. So just go and say, do you need any additional support? No, I don't. I just need a few minutes. Okay. Go back out, serve the pie. (laughs) Now I've missed the pie. And maybe that's all I needed was just to miss the pie. And maybe I don't want to talk about it, but you know, just making space for there not to have to be a prescribed way of doing things makes it possible for us to sort of grieve together and move through together. And the people that are sitting at the table, that when somebody gets up and bolts out of the room, they can't take ownership of that. Right. It has nothing to do with them. It really doesn't. And so, so many times when we feel like it does, then we're now projecting onto the person who's run out that they've made us feel bad. So not only am I grieving, not only is my husband not eating pie, but also I've made everybody at the table feel terrible. And so if we can just not own that and understand that sometimes we just need a break, especially from, I'll give you an example. My family uh, often does a winter vacation and we went to Big Bear in California for a lovely weekend with my whole family. This By this time I had been widowed four years. So for four years, we've been having plans and making trips and doing all the things without Phil. And as we were all getting ready to load our cars and drive home, all of my siblings and my parents, they had a partner. And so there's two people loading the car. There's two people who are going to be driving home. And I got in my car and I cried all the way home because I was the only adult. I was going to drive all the way. And all I wanted was to have Phil back, sharing the time, sharing the family time, being able to be the other responsible adult in the car while I drove home. Now, that was not about my family, and there was nothing they could have done for me at that time. None of them was going to be able to drive me home, and it wasn't really even about being driven home. It was about the the physical absence and the increased responsibility that I felt because my partner was dead. And so know that some of this is not about anything except that death can't be fixed and that he isn't coming back. And I and everyone around me had to get used to that and had to build lives around that reality. Makes it very difficult too when you are the, what do they call it? The third wheel? Third, fifth, seventh. Yeah. None of those are fun. <laughs> when you get invited to a party and it's everybody's, yeah. everybody's paired up except yeah. for you. Well, and so let's talk about that a little bit because I think two different things happen in my experience in particular for widowed people. One is Oh, gosh, I had a widowed person whose whose group of friends were all paired off. There were 10 of them. And they had been having all kinds of, I mean, they've had events that nobody could count how many with the 10 of them. And then after her husband died, she got invited a couple of times and she went because these are her friends. And then she stopped getting invitations. And she heard, you know, secondhand that there was an event coming up. She called to say, I didn't get my invitation. I was just checking in on the details. 
and discovered that she wasn't invited because it would make for an odd number at the table. So oh, her, that's, that's creepy, right? Her friends decided that they, <laughs> they didn't, weren't going to have nine. Nine was an awkward number. They were down to eight. So she wasn't invited. So two things happen for widowed people. Sometimes people don't, they stop inviting you. And that could be for a myriad of reasons. You know, maybe you do care about how many, if it's nine or 10, um, but also could be that, you know, that grief makes you uncomfortable. Could be that you don't want to impose. Could be that you just don't know what to say. And so you're afraid of having them come. But, but then what that ends up doing is isolating the person from events that they used to go to. But the flip side of that is, I always say, invite them and then allow them to say no. Because that's the other piece is that maybe I am not feeling like third, fifth, seventh wheel. Maybe I'm not up for it this time. And so if the friends had continued inviting her, she could have made the choice that sometimes she could go. And sometimes maybe she wouldn't feel up to going. Maybe she wanted them just to be eight and not 10. And so, you know, just know that your invitation is always welcome and wonderful. And if it's turned down, it isn't a it isn't a reflection of you or the party or what you're doing. It could just be that this person doesn't have the energy for that, that time. So don't stop inviting. Please keep inviting people who you know, who are widowed, who are single, who are divorced, who are whatever their situation is. If they might be home alone, please invite them. And if they choose not to come, at least you've made the offer and they know that they're welcome in your space. You know, I learned something when, um, I got divorced. We had these uh, these friends that were very close to us. And um, when we were a couple, she, my wife, liked him more than as much as he, she liked the other gal. Mm -hmm. And I didn't resonate as much with the guy, but I loved the gal. And so when my wife went away, suddenly it became very uncomfortable because yes. he was he was not the guy that I was there to see because I wasn't all that comfortable with him. But, he, but I was really comfortable yeah. with her. Yeah. And to, so that that's another aspect. It of is. It. it really is. And, you know, I think that's a, that's the thing is that the more able we are to just make the invitation, then we find our way forward into the friendships and renewing and or, you know, sometimes a just a, a friend will fall away and that's okay too. But at least we have the opportunity to be invited and to, to know that if the invitation is not accepted, it's not about you. It's about me. It's about what I need in the moment. And I, I, I just, it broke my heart for my friend when, you know, she stopped being invited because of the number of table seats and that that was more important than their relationship. And, and that can be a very difficult discovery to make about your friends and people you care about it's amazing sometimes how shallow people are but i wanted to ask you about this because i think this also bears on to it is that there when you are the when you're the third fifth seventh ninth 11th 11th or whatever it is <laughs> and you and you feel uncomfortable with that and so you decide that you're going to go find somebody mm -hmm. so that you can get paired up with yeah. Isn't that a place that you need to be very careful of that you're actually not going to pair yourself up with somebody who you're just doing it so that you're not alone? Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, I want to I'm going to circle back to one thing you said, which was that there it is amazing how shallow people can be. And I think that the flip side of it is that it can be amazing how beautiful people can be. And when they're beautiful in that way, it helps avoid this desire, this like drive to have to to be coupled in, you know, in a world where sometimes it can be really difficult to be a single or solo person for whatever the reason that brought you to that space, whether it's by choice, you're not interested, whether it's widowhood, whether it's divorce, you know, there's a complicated array of reasons, but um, we live in a world that is set up for couples and that can be really difficult and can encourage people in an unhealthy way to choose to be partnered in order to be more comfortable in a world that's set up for couples. Um, and as you said, like the danger of that, in particular for people who are widowed, is that we sometimes can imagine that having another person will assuage our grief. And the truth is that it does not, that you can't replace people with anybody else and in order to be ready for a new relationship. And there's no timing on that. You know, people will judge widowed people up and down because of how long it takes or how short a time it takes for them to date or to repartner. So I, there's no time frame. But what I do know is that you have to be able to be in a place where you can offer your whole self and know yourself well enough to know what you need. And any kind of traumatic experience, whether it's in our case, widowhood or divorce or any other traumatic thing changes us. And if we don't get to know the person who's been changed through the process, when we try to choose another partner, we're not going to be able to make the best possible choice because we don't know ourselves well enough yet, this new self well enough yet to know what they need. Exactly. And when you're a single person and, and I've had this discussion, people say, well, you know, why don't you go to just go, you can go to a movie by yourself. It's mm -hmm. like, oh sure. The the have you ever seen the that 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 guy that's coming down with the <laughs> and Greg Big Pop in the other hand and he's by himself and you go, oh poor man, he doesn't have <laughs> Well, here's the trick, Kevin. You sneak in after the lights are already down. There you go. And then nobody says poor anybody, and you can go to a movie on your own and nobody will have anything to say about it because they'll be too busy watching the movie. Well, quite frankly, it's none of their damn business. Anyway. That's right. Who cares? But I mean, it's true. Like, you know, because we're set up in a coupled world, people wonder what's wrong with you if you're out there by yourself. And so it takes some time. You know, I've met many widowed people. One of the things they really struggle with is they'd love to go for dinner, but they don't want to go for dinner alone. And they, for whatever reason, don't have somebody that they can go with. For lots of people we fall into as couples, like being our only person, we don't, you know, friends or couple friends, they kind of fall away. And so after someone's died, then suddenly you're like, well, who will I go to dinner with? And so, you know, one of the things we practice is deciding like, okay, how much do I want to go to dinner? I can either find another widowed friend to go with. I can go to a group dinner. I can decide that it's okay for me to have dinner by myself. But it is something that takes, each person will have a different level of comfort around any one of those options. Um, but I always encourage our widowed people, you know, just to think about the fact that we are single in a coupled world, and that is not a commentary on us. That is not a value statement, and we should do our best not to take it as such. Yeah, because it doesn't matter. At, mm. the, at the end of the day, if you're happy in your skin, if as as an example, if I if if um, I had lost my my, I, I'm pretty sure 
that if I was a widower, that I probably would never get married again. Uh, only because I don't want to go through all, all, all of that that stuff again. But that's just me, and yeah. and a lot of people. But don't ever hook up because you think that you need to because you the right guy or the right gal may be right around the corner, and uh, so don't take yourself too seriously and off the market and that kind of stuff. And and if you go to dinner by yourself, it's okay. It's all right. I like going to dinner by myself. I'm great company. <laughs> you, you, a, you, a glass of wine and a book, and so good. I mean, really, like we all have a great time. But I also just want to say, you know, it, it, there are I, we always learn something from every relationship we're in, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a romantic relationship, um, you know, our family relationships. If we allow ourselves to engage with people regularly, we start to learn more and more about the kind of person who is a good match for us. And that can be a friend match as well as a romantic match, because a lot of times when you're in a space where you're welcoming new people into your life, you want to make sure that they find you, that, that they see your value and that they reflect that value back to you. And you're not settling for someone who doesn't, who is like an energy drain or who doesn't project the value back to you in order to just fill the dinner, dinner seat, you know, whether it be a friend or a romantic partner. I have a quick story I have to tell you. Oh, I'm uh, excited about this. <laughs> I met somebody. I was a bus driver and, a, and another bus driver, a, a woman, a nice looking woman. And we got to be friends. We started talking every now and again. And finally, I, I said, you know, you want to go out to coffee sometime? And uh, she said, you're sure. And uh, um, I knew that she'd been dating and she was really was interested in a relationship. Um, and, but I said, you know, well, let's go to coffee. And so we did that. And I found out more about her and, and she, she did in my world, she, she did the unthinkable thing of saying, I don't like the Beatles. So Uh-oh. It, it was like, you know, one of those things is like, ah, let's see. Check out. <laughs> and so, so I said, uh, as we were leaving, um, I said, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to get together again. And she said, oh, that would be great. And I said, you know, just, I'd there are times when I would just like to go to a movie with a friend, somebody that I can talk with, go out to dinner with a friend, somebody like that. Nothing, nothing special, nothing that we're going to hold forever. Just, just as friends to start with, and then we'll see where it goes from there. And she started to cry. Because uh -oh. <laughs> it, it was like. You made her cry, Kevin. I did. And I didn't mean <laughs> oh. to. I was, well, was, she, was she sad because she had hoped you would have a relationship? or? Oh, the next time I saw her, she was. Uh -oh ready to kill and uh -oh. and so she and i mean i mean she was angry I, and it so and so <laughs> i was grateful i'm so excited to see where we're taking this story okay where are we headed with this where we're headed with this is i was really grateful <laughs> that i went slower and uh and not jump into something that i was going to be really really sad about because she was wicked anyway so oh just, dear just to take your to take it <laughs> that was your warning story so yes, here's warning a warning story. for everyone if they say no to the beatles you should definitely run for the hills that's it that's all it all right that's but, good if only it were that simple wouldn't that be nice if there was just oh, like a boy. one criteria and so, then you were like okay you're not the right one yes <laughs> but, the, but what got me was that because she was on her best behavior because she wanted a relationship yeah she was not that wasn't the person who she really was right so well, I'm, and I think it's always worth like also saying out loud, we don't think about 
you know, like we're not dating our friends, right? We, we connect with somebody and we kind of just decide, oh yeah, let's go here. And we're going to be friends. We don't, we oftentimes don't spend enough time getting to know our friends. I've met so many people who end up with someone who they consider to be a good friend, but don't treat them well, you know, take up their time. It's a one-sided relationship. And then this, you know, then you end up in this space where you're putting out all the energy and it's not a true friendship, but because you think you're friends, it's not something you like, you don't break up, like you break up, a, you know, with a romantic relationship. And so I'm just always tell people to be mindful of who you spend your time with and that you feel not to say that there aren't going to be people who are a drain. I mean, we are approaching the holidays. And so whoever that challenging relative is that you're like, Oh boy, how are we going to manage uncle Charlie? Um, whoever your uncle Charlie is, right. That I'm not suggesting that you wouldn't have people in your life who are a drain, but I always want to just say, make sure you're having some balance. So if there's somebody you, you know, is really draining emotionally, spiritually, you know, physically, whatever the drain is, make sure you, that you're giving yourself the counter at, you know, the sort of counteraction to that, which is somebody who fills you up, spend time with someone who makes you laugh. Some spend some time with somebody who loves the Beatles. Like you want to make sure that you're, you're balancing out your energy by, putting, giving where you need to, but also filling up. And that means having people in your life who will be the kind of people you want to spend time with, who you enjoy and who make you feel good about yourself and about, you know, your time with them. I just had a question pop into my head. So I got to ask this hmm. is when, when you are a widowed person and, um, and something, a tragedy has happened in your life, um, do you have a tendency to say to yourself, I'm less than because this happened to me and it didn't happen to anybody else, but it happened to me. And so you have a, a, a less, a less than enthusiastic view of your life. Is that, does that happen? Oh yeah, it definitely does. I, I would say again, you know, everyone has their own experience of this, but it sometimes feels like the whole, you know, it's like when it rains and pours. You, so your person dies and then everything that comes after that feels like an additional burden because you're carrying the burden of grief at this time. And you're trying to make your way without your person who, which likely means you're juggling a bunch of new tasks, which likely means that you're more responsible than you've ever been because there's so many things that need to be handled. And at the same time, you know, the water heater breaks and then the dog gets sick. And then, you know, your aunt who you is, you beloved aunt is, you know, been diagnosed with cancer. It feels like the whole world is falling down because part of your world has fallen down and you're still trying to figure out how to deal with that, let alone the, the ongoing challenges that life will continue to offer. So I think there definitely can be a sense of why me? And there can be a sense of, you know, what's the purpose of this? And and it typically stems back to, you know, the, the big loss, the thing that began this grief experience for our widowed people, that's their widowed experience. And everything after that can sometimes feel like, you know, like bad frosting on a very bad cake. <laughs> How do you teach people to be kind to themselves? Oh, I always tell them this. You treat yourself like you would treat your best friend. So when you are telling a story, let's say you're telling your story of your experience, you know, imagine it's your best friend telling you this. You, This is a person you love and you want the best for. How would you treat them? What support would you offer them? What grace would you offer them? And then 
use that as the standard for the grace and kindness you offer yourself. That is a good Can I use that? We're going to use it. Absolutely. We're going to make a short out of that. I think. Okay, good. I think that's the thing is, aren't we always just so, you know, especially someone we truly love, like this is a person I absolutely love. I want everything good for you. How would you treat that person? And then compare how you treat yourself. What kind of language do you use with that person? Do you build them up? Do you give them the opportunity to, you know, share with you the things that are hard without assuming that they're an idiot and that they aren't that good at anything? But so often when we say to ourselves like, oh, God, I'm really struggling with this. Like, why am I so weak? Why can't I do the thing? You know, we don't give ourselves the same kind of grace. We use negative language a lot of times, especially if we're in pain. And so, you know, I try to use, it's, I call it the best friend voice. Use your best friend voice <laughs> and make sure that that's the tape that's playing in your head and not the one that says I'm less than, you know, this has happened to me because I somehow deserve it or any of the things that when we're in pain, we can convince ourselves of all kinds of things that are just not true. Ain't that the truth. Now, speaking of which, you have a new program. It was, I don't know if it's new, but it's for the newly widowed program and you it's tuesdays on zoom at three o'clock how do they sign up for that it is a fantastic program for anybody who's been widowed a year or less we don't hold those um those suggestions to be absolute so let's say you've been widowed 18 months and you're still feeling pretty new to this experience you'd be welcome to join the call it's a part this has been an ongoing program actually it developed through the covid time um, when we were in COVID lockdown and we realized there were so many people being widowed with no support. So the joke in the widowed community is that people are going to bring you a lasagna. <laughs> so your person dies and you're definitely getting a lasagna. Some wonderful person is going to make you a lasagna. And I personally had eight lasagnas in my freezer at one time after Phil died <laughs> because I was so blessed to have people in my life who would bring me lasagna and my kids still to this day do not like lasagna. But you didn't even get lasagna in the COVID times because people weren't able to come and offer the typical food and comfort and, um, you know, company that they would have. And so we started this program to acknowledge that and to provide people an opportunity to connect in community with other newly widowed people. It's basically a 12 week rotating program. It begins once every 12 weeks. You don't get kicked out. So you can go to as many 12 week programs as you want. But what you'll discover is that we provide information about topics that we know newly widowed people often struggle with it, from, you know, energy levels to managing strong emotions, anxiety, uh, sleep, being able to parent grieving children. So you'll find that there's a subject, a presenter, a widowed presenter will come and give about 20 minutes of content, then do a Q&A. And then we have the opportunity for everyone to check in and sort of share thoughts about what they've heard. The newly widowed program is free. The way that you would access that program is by going to our widowed village. And that is on the Soaring Spirits website. So it's soaringspirits.org. You'll find a plethora of programs and resources available for any widowed person, as well as the people who support them. But the newly widowed program in particular is run through our widowed village format. And what we do is we verify your widowhood before we allow you to join the call. You would be very shocked to discover how many people want to pretend that they're widowed. Um, we, I know, Kevin, that was a great face. That is, it happens so much more often than you could even imagine. You've got to be freaking kidding me. I am not kidding you. 
they will come. I think what they imagine is that there's going to be a bunch of rich widows who are looking desperately for love. And so we have, yes, we have people try to sign up. They try to, you know, spam us all the things. So we don't allow that. You can't come onto the newly widowed call until you've interacted with our team. We give you a variety of ways to confirm that you are widowed. And then once you've been admitted into the widowed village, you have access to the call. It's free. You click on the link and you join at three o'clock on Tuesdays, each and every Tuesday we offer um, the ongoing connection. I am just sitting here. I'm <laughs> I've blown your mind, haven't I? <laughs> Who knew that people can't, you know, would want to pretend to be widowed? I wish you could have seen my face the first time I realized it. We used to run long ago when we first started Soaring Spirits, we ran a different type of forum and people would actually post on there. And I kept thinking, how do these be like, what is happening? And they were, you know, either looking for love or in need of a little bit of extra cash or, you know, a prince from somewhere far away that was looking for the exact right princess. I mean, just like you would be surprised. So we protect our widowed community by um, verifying widowhood before they are able to interact with any of our programs, there are forward-facing ones that are don't have any interaction. All of those are available. You don't have to sign up for those. But anything that would allow you interaction, either live in person or live through uh, virtual content, um, does require that you come through the the verification process. I would never have guessed. Nobody who knew. Who <laughs> really? Well, you know, and the other thing is that you mentioned that uh, COVID. Um, has taken a lot of people mm -hmm. and a lot of them were married and and so there's a lot more widowed people and not not counting if you start adding up the gun violence in this country if you start adding up the opiate over overdose which mm -hmm. is just in 2001 was like 20 or no excuse me was close to a hundred thousand people that there is a lot of need for what you are doing and especially the opiate crisis these are younger people yeah for sure <laughs> These are not people that were expected to pass away yeah. and, and stuff. And so it's what you're doing, Michelle, I have to tell you, you and your group, I know it's sad. You know, we were talking before. It's like, it's a really good thing that you're growing. Yeah. Really you need to be growing. Yeah, for sure. And the thing, you know, the reality is like, I often will say to people, the only thing I can think of that's worse than being widowed is being widowed and alone. And so what we offer people is the opportunity to be in community in any of the ways that might work for them. Sometimes people don't want to interact. So we have videos that are available. All of our newly widowed calls are recorded. So we record the content um, and allow people the option of, you know, maybe they just want to watch the videos. Maybe they're not interested in talking to other people. But what we want to confirm is that they're not alone. They're not the only widowed person. There is resources. There is a community. There is hope for being able to rebuild a life that matters to you, even though you might not be able to imagine it at all in the moment. It is important that at one point that you rejoin humanity uh, yeah. because there's no point in you sitting in your house. I live in a 55 plus community and most of them are women because the men have uh, passed on and a lot of them just hang around in their house. Mm-hmm. And they don't do anything and and your life is too precious it's too short you should do everything that you can to make a difference for yourself and for those around you at least that's my opinion what do you think yeah and i think also like to give yourself the grace to you know process what you need to process and and also 
allow space for possibility. Allow that the just just even if you cannot imagine how, just the idea that there is a chance that you might actually have a really meaningful life ahead of you, even though the person that you love so much has died. And it's also really important, you know, one of the key elements of resilience, Soaring Spirits has a research center in Kerrville, Texas, and our work there is to study resilience in widowhood. And one of the key elements that we've discovered influences people's ability to move through the widowed experience and move into a new and meaningful life is being able to find a way to take their person with them. It is the idea of integration, which is that you're not leaving your person behind as you create a new life. Everything you know about them, everything you've learned, everything you've loved about them comes with you as you make a meaningful life for this version of yourself. So it's not about leaving them behind. And I think that the people who are isolated and who are struggling to create a life for themselves often fear that they are, are going to be asked to or even required to leave their loved one behind in order to make that new meaningful life. And, you know, we we model that that's just not true. You You absolutely bring with you everyone you love, every experience you've ever had, even as you evolve into a next version of yourself. I'm a firm believer and take your, your thoughts on this. I'm a firm believer that if people who love you have passed on, um, they have had their life and now they've passed on. And I believe that they're still around us Mm. and therefore they want the best for us. They don't want us to feel badly. They want us to live the best life that we can because they know that we'll see them again. And and that's now that's my opinion. Now maybe that's fanciful thinking on my part. Maybe you know I know there are some people that can't buy into that, but mm-hmm. but it does help me understand that when people that I love have passed on, that I'll see them again. And that's you know that helps me. The other thing I think that we that our study has shown is that continuing an ongoing relationship with the person who's died is an important way of facilitating that integration. And by that, I mean, being able to keep their memory alive with in ways that matter to you. And so for people who believe that they're going to see them again, it's the looking forward to that day. For people who are not able to believe that, it can be setting up some kind of a memorial activity or something that carries forward the spirit of this person. You know, I will often ask people, what's one thing about the person who died that you just loved and you feel like the world should have more of? And can you find ways in your own life to model that, to bring that quality into you and the way you interact in the world as an is a way of honoring your person and continuing their spirit in the world. So that continuing bond with the people who've died in whatever way it works for each person is also a key element of resilience because we don't feel separate from the people we've loved. They are still with us in the ways that, you know, matter to us, whether that's photos, it could be photos, it can be music, it can be, um, you know, continuing on the golf day that they loved. Like it can be a, a so many different things. Um, But the key element being that the spirit of that person, the thing you loved about that person is honored, remembered, and continued in some way in your own life. I think that's brilliant. And that would help you and also the other people who love that person as well. Absolutely. 
Yeah. I always tell people, if you have a memory of someone who died, call someone else who knows that person and tell them that, hey, I was just thinking about so-and-so and I remembered this this, you know, meaningful, funny, you know, can you believe it kind of moment, because you're not the only one missing them, for sure. So if you're thinking of someone who died, and and that actually is a really good way for us to kind of, as we're coming to a close, uh, one of the things I, I think is so beautiful, especially for the holidays, whatever holiday it is you celebrate, is to consider putting out a memory bowl. And the memory bowl is just a small bowl and it has papers and a pen next to it. And you encourage people if you have a memory of this person. So let's say we've come to my Thanksgiving dinner and we're talking about Phil. And I say, if you have a memory of Phil, write it on, you know, please write it and put it in the bowl. And then you have a minute to read the memories. Imagine like the, the, the joy and wonder of that. And then whoever the primary griever is, maybe it's a spouse or partner, maybe it's a child. You know, my dad's died in the last couple of years. So if we were doing this for my dad, you know, my mom might take some home. My siblings might take some home. His grandkids might take some home. But everybody then gets a memory to hold on to. And you've both said the person's name. You've shared the experience of grieving them together in a very healthy way. And you have, you know, expanded their spirit and the things that you love about them by talking about them. And you could do that for any holiday. So whatever end of your holidays you celebrate, it could be a way of saying, let's honor the people who have died. It could do multiple bowls if there are multiple people in your family. It's just a really, really nice way to incorporate them into the day. I agree. Now, <clears throat> the one thing that I would love and encourage other people to do, because now technology allows us to do this, is take the time to do a video of yourself or to create a, a memoir of yourself, something like that. When my Before my dad passed away, I did an interview with him mm. and uh, we, we did it for like an hour. And then he went and had surgery and subsequently passed away. Wow. Totally unexpected. Wow. And so during his memorial service, I took that and edited it down to about a seven minute thing so that he could be there mm -hmm. in his mm -hmm. own voice talking about how we met my mom and Aww. how we loved all the kids. And there wasn't a dry eye in the house at the end yeah. of it. And we have to, if we could do that, but I, I offer that service to people and they say, oh, no, I'm nobody special. Nobody wants to know mm -hmm. who I am. And and it's like, stop it. That's not true. <laughs> like, you know, but yeah. but in, in any event, I could go, I could talk to you all day long, but you, <laughs> you are a busy person. Ah, well, I love spending time with you. I am excited for us to have shared just a few tips. So, you know, just to wrap up, if you're a griever, find an escape route. Find an escape route and give yourself permission to use it. That means you might have just a five minute break or you might be like, I'm done. And that's the way I'm exiting. And then if you're not a griever, you know, to make space for that, to make space for it to be okay for people to only be able to participate for so long. And then consider the idea of how might you include this the person who's died in your holidays. That could be the memory bowl I talked about. It could just be a quiet conversation with the person you know is grieving where you say, I really miss that person and I'm sure you must be missing them too. Don't forget the kids. Please don't forget the kids. Because oh, yeah. so many times when, a, let's say, a, a spouse or partner has died, the person who's widowed comes in, the kids come in, and I will tell you what, they're asking the kids, how's your mom? How's your dad? How's your mom? How's your dad? They forget to ask the kids how they are. So, Remember that the kids also are grieving and that 
if we can say, you know, I've been thinking a lot about your dad, or I've been thinking a lot about your mom. And do you know what they loved about you? Those are the kind of conversations that are like little gems. They're gifts that we can give each other just by being willing to share what we know about someone, what we loved about someone, and by our willingness to say their names. Soaringspirits.org. Go there if you have the need. If you know somebody, take them there. Soaringspirits.org. Michelle Hernandez, you are a diamond in the rough, and you are an angel among us. And you've built this community, and it's and thank you so much for doing the work that you do. Uh, it's a privilege and an honor. And I love spending time with you, so thank you so much for having me. So we we like, uh, you know, come back? Absolutely, always. <laughs> okay, that takes the pressure off. So <laughs> thank, thank you so much, Michelle. And uh, wait right there. I'll be right back. Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember... Be kind to one another because each other's all we got.